up and see, here comes Scamma. A low blow by Mukkan Singh. He's holding Hart. to his rescue. Muckin Singh has been disqualified, but Owen Hart in pain. He's in trouble. He got fire in the face. He's clutching his eyes. I cannot believe this. I, you, I, well, I'm speechless. I am Evil, despicable, fearsome, and polarizing. Join us this month on Grappling with Canada as we take a deep dive into the life and career of the great Gama Singh and the rise of Karachi Vice. another action-packed yet very much still an under construction episode of grappling with canada as usual i'm your host the taxman and i want to thank everybody for joining us this afternoon morning or evening depending on what part of the world what what time zone what continent anywhere in the world that you're listening to us i want to thank you very much for checking out the program today i'm very much looking forward to digging into this month's episode because uh, of the topic first off is is somebody who I knew a little bit about uh, from previous wrestling knowledge if you will but learned a great deal throughout the years and was reintroduced to him uh, in the later couple of years and that's something that we are going to discuss a little bit further in this month's episode so I'm very much looking forward to our subject matter today but before we get into all that first off I want to thank everybody who checked out the Abdullah the Butcher episode from last month. Uh, I understand that it was a little bit hard to hear for some people. I mean, realistically, not every podcast is going to start off with (laughs) essentially an attempted murder. But I do appreciate everybody having an open mind and checking out that program. I realized that, and like I had said in that program, Abdullah Butcher is not everybody's cup of tea and certainly not mine in terms of you know, the blood, guts, gore, death match, you know, barbed wire, forks, knives, blades, bottles of OE getting smashed over guys' heads and them getting cut up with the shards. It's it's not everybody's thing, but I thought that we did a very good job and a lot of the credit goes to that, uh, to the guests that I had in the program, but I thought that we did a really good job of highlighting just how important Abdul the Butcher was, not just to professional wrestling because as listeners of this show know we have a very large audience who 
really doesn't care about professional wrestling at all. But they're here because they want to hear the interesting stories. And I thought that the story of Abdul the Butcher and what he meant, not only here in Canada and specifically in Montreal, Pat LaParade did a fantastic job of illustrating that, but also, you know, the significance that he had down south and especially overseas in Japan with Iad joining the program to discuss that. So once again, I want to thank everybody for having an open mind and checking out the Abdullah the Butcher episode from last month. Speaking of which, if this is your first time to the program, welcome. I highly suggest that you go in the archives of this program, wherever you buy, sell, trade, barter, or find your favorite podcasts, whether that be on Good Pods, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Uh, If you uh, use that wonderful search bar on whatever your podcast platform of choice, you will find our back catalog. So you'll find the aforementioned Abdullah the Butcher episode. You'll also find episodes on Jack Taylor, uh, Dino Bravo, and Stu Hart, to name a few. But some tremendous stuff in the back catalog. We're only on episode 9, so it's not like you got to go way in the weeds to find them. Uh, Although, as this one will be, they are deep dive episodes. Which is why the good Lord invented the pause button. So if you guys ever uh, are listening to an episode and you're at the two-hour mark or wherever you are in the program and uh, you need to take a little breather, that's what that wonderful pause button is for. Uh, which is something that I wanted to bring up real quick because a couple of people were asking if I was going to, instead of do this show monthly, and this is something that would going to talk about later on in the program as well but I had a few people asking if I was going to continue to broadcast this show monthly in one long form program or if I would break it up into four parts throughout the month and I'm going to keep it as the long form program for a couple of reasons one is this show takes an inordinate amount of time to research produce uh, get guests and all that kind of stuff so it would be adding a lot more onto my plate personally to try and bring it up like that. But more importantly, I feel like the program would lose quite a bit of the integrity that it holds if I were to break it up into sections. Because then it's like, okay, how do you break it up properly? And then, you know, obviously some guests run longer than others and there's more information in in some portions of the program than others. So it, that's not something I'm interested in doing. This program will continue to run as it is Uh, once a month at the first of the month you know it's easy to find and that's the way we're going to continue running the program uh, into the future there are a few um, notes and information about the future of the program that I want to get to way later on in the program but I don't want to bog the entire uh, front end of this program down with all that little bit of minutia I do want to start by saying that if this is your first time listening to us or if it's your ninth time listening to us, you can find us on many different social media platforms. On Facebook, we have a Facebook group and a Facebook page, both titled Grappling with Canada. So use that wonderful wonderful Facebook groups search bar or Facebook pages search bar search grappling with canada Uh, make sure you like the page and come on in and join the group the benefit to joining the group is always a week before the next month's episode drops as the kids say i always put a teaser of what the upcoming episode is going to be about so if you have any questions that you would like brought up on that month's episode or if there's any specific information that you want researched and included on that episode, 
uh, once again, usually a week before that episode is set to release, I put the teaser up on the Facebook group. So once again, use that wonderful Facebook group search bar, find us Grappling with Canada, and come join the program. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram. Once again, Grappling with Canada, use that Instagram search bar. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at 6 underscore podcast and for anybody who is curious why that is that is in related or relation to the previous podcast that I used to run which you're going to hear a little bit later about uh, with my tremendous guests that I have on the show tonight but anyways uh, on twitter at six underscore podcast you can also find us on youtube youtube.com slash c slash six-sided podcast of note on the youtube page and I just want to make mention of this as well that program, it's very hard for me to release on the first consistently. I, I'm trying hard to get back on a schedule where it's the week of that it'll get released on the YouTube page. But for the full, unadulterated, listen to me talk, version of the program, the best way to find it is on the various podcast platforms. But feel free as well, throw a subscribe on that uh, YouTube page. Once again, youtube.com slash C slash Six Sided Podcast. We're marching our way to 1,000. I think we're almost at the 500 mark, so any every little bit helps. Uh, you can also, like I said, find us on Good Pods. That's a wonderful new podcasting platform. And speaking of which, while you're on Good Pods, if you are so inclined, you can also donate to the podcast via the tip jar function. Uh, you can also, if you want to donate to the podcast, you can buy me a beer. Uh, com slash grappling is where you'll find that option. Uh, go ahead and buy the taxman a beer. It is thirsty work putting together this podcast. And, you know, there is no producer. There is no writer. There is no team behind me. There is no research assistants, interns, nothing. We don't all have a feather, uh, Hotchkiss feather bottom, if you will. But... It's just me and uh, and my wonderful guests that I are. I'm so gracious in having on the program. So, if you want to support the program, uh, two wonderful ways to do it is buymeacoffee.com/grappling, or on the Good Pods app, you can hit that tip jar function. Uh, T-shirts. Yes, I've mentioned it a few times. I'm going to mention it again, but we're going to save that for the end of the program as well. Like I said, I don't want to inundate you guys with a thousand things and bog the entire program down right at the start of it. So, with all that being said, I'm really, really, really excited for this month's episode. I have a tremendous guest that uh, I know that you guys are going to enjoy. Of note, just please keep in mind, everybody, that because I am in the construction portion still at my house I am having to move from various locations for the recording process of the podcast so that being said if the audio quality is not what it normally is uh, on previous episodes I apologize I'm trying to do the best that I can with um, my surroundings if you will so this should hopefully be cleared up for our October release. I would hope so at the very least. So once again, if the audio is a little bit off or if the audio is you know, louder in some parts, quieter in some parts or, or vice versa, whatever you may have, um, it's just that's, that's the hand I'm dealt right now and I'm trying to work with it. So 
I do appreciate you guys though sticking with me and uh, and for all the kind words that I've been receiving uh, regarding the program lately and that is also something I'm going to be talking about later on in the program as well because I've got a ton of really nice comments and a ton of positive feedback lately that uh, has really made all this worthwhile so I want to thank everybody for that. So before we get into tonight's program, I'm gonna. You had a little bit of a teaser clip at the start of the show, in regards to a little bit of treachery of Great Gama Singh uh, throwing a fireball in Owen Hart's face. We are going to hear the flip side of that issue, and on the other side, we're going to get right into this program. So please enjoy this classic Stampede Wrestling audio. And on the other side, we are going to jump right into the program today. I can think of better things to do than this. Waylon, talking to you. Be a man now, Waylon. You heard me pleading with him. Go wrestle. You heard me pleading. With this fire. If he wants to be that stupid, I pleading with him. Don't wrestle me. You can't wrestle a man. You're a punk. The key word is wrestle. Hey, all wrestling. No, no, Waylon. You come in the ring. It's war. How stupid can he be? Now, why don't he have all two hearts to string me the belt and say you're the greatest champion that ever lived and keep the punk kid home doing dishes or something? If they want to serve it to me, here it is. I'll take it. I'll tell you what, Waylon. Maybe some burnt face could be a delicacy. I, know, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Where, what are you doing in there with a Now, as we discuss the career of Great Gom Singh and obviously our other main event this evening, the Karachi Vice, there is something important that I just want to discuss. We are going to move a little bit throughout the timelines here. So what I'm going to do is give you a brief rundown of his career. I don't want to get too far in the weeds because that's really not what we do in this program. But after I've done that, I want to expand on a few very interesting topics of conversation uh, that are very pertinent to his singles career and as well with his career with the Karachi Vice. But we can't talk about any of that unless we start at the very beginning. So born December 8th, 1954 in Punjabi, Indian, Godwar Singh Sahoda would end up coming to Canada in roughly 1963. So this all started with his father immigrating to Canada from India and then like I said in around 1963 he ended up sending for his family and that's how uh, Gama Singh ended up coming to Canada. Uh, he went to school in Merritt, British Columbia and excelled in amateur wrestling. During his youth uh, he was in Vancouver working out at the YMCA where he met Bill Parsak. Uh, he was an old-time wrestler who had seen him in action in the amateur ranks. Uh, he trained Singh for six months and suggested that it was time to go to Calgary and Stampede Wrestling. Naturally, we know who he would run into there. Singh went to Calgary, he met Stu Hart, and then started working out with Carlos Belafonte, who, as wrestling fans would know, ended up being Carlos Colon, who was the biggest name in Puerto Rican wrestling history. Although there is a lot of baggage associated with his name, uh, mostly with the murder of Bruiser Brody, not something I'm going to get into terribly tonight because that would be a whole other topic for a whole other podcast, which is really not related to 
grappling with Canada or what we're focusing on tonight. But it is interesting of how all of these international tendrils seemingly keep running through Canada. It doesn't matter if we're talking about Calgary, if we're talking about BC, if we're talking about here in Winnipeg or in Montreal or in the Maritimes, which we're going to discuss in a later episode. All of this international talent just seems to intersect and find its way through Canada, into Canada, and exported from Canada. It's just, the more I read into all this, the more it's just absolutely amazing to me. So after he got his training from Stu Hart, and obviously with Carlos Colon as well, uh, he ended up hitting the road. He spent some time in Georgia. He spent some time in All-Star Wrestling in Vancouver. This is something we would have covered, or that promotion we would have covered in the Gene Kaniski episode. Uh, as well as he spent time in California, where there's no video evidence of it that I could find, but apparently he had some outstanding matches with Rowdy Roddy Piper. So if anybody is listening to this program and you have some video footage of Great Gama Singh versus Rowdy Roddy Piper, I would personally and I would personally love to see it. But I know for a fact that there's a ton of wrestling fans who would love to see uh, those type of matches. Now, of note as well, when he first started his career, he was actually wrestling under his assumed or legal name, if you will. He didn't end up actually going for uh, wrestling, I should say, under the Great Gama gimmick until about 1974. Uh, this is in reference to arguably the greatest Indian wrestler of all time, Great Gama, who, from what I can read, and I, I understand that there's quite a bit of kayfabe in wrestling for lack of a better term i don't like to use wrestling terms but there's a lot of misdirection and stories in professional wrestling as we all know but from all records that i can gather uh great gamma the original in the early 1900s went undefeated in 5,000 wrestling matches you heard that right he went undefeated in 5,000 consecutive wrestling matches and actually, from everything that I've been able to read, uh, he went undefeated and retired. So he would have went 5,000 and 0, which is absolutely incredible. But he was a, a big, big deal in India in the early stages of the wrestling scene. Now, a lot of people will understand that you know professional wrestling in North America really got its kickstart in the late 1800s. Uh, kind of died off a little bit, then roared back in the early 1900s. This is evidenced by our uh, couple of months ago, our episode on uh, wrestling pioneer Jack Taylor. It is interesting, though, that professional wrestling was also huge in other markets, and you wouldn't think India would be one, but proof is in the pudding. Therefore, that's where he got his name from. Now, through the 70s and the 80s, uh, Gama spent most of his time in Stampede Wrestling, did a lot in uh, Vancouver for All-Star Wrestling, did many spots internationally. We're going to get into that a little bit later, but he went essentially all over the world. He went to, obviously, the United States, uh, spent time in Puerto Rico, spent time in Japan, in Trinidad and Tobago, in South Africa. He was basically globetrotting, hot-shotting all around the world. And a lot of this was due to talent exchanges with Stampede Wrestling, but a lot of it was because of the name that he was starting to get for himself. A very important part of this is something that we're going to describe a little bit later. But North American wrestling fans 
would naturally most know him for his run in Stampede Wrestling, which we're going to be, be, be focusing on quite a bit today as well. Of note as well, and this is something that's often overlooked in the career of Great Gama Singh, is that he did spend some time in the mid to late 80s, or sorry, the early to mid 80s with the WWF. So how that came about is Vince McMahon was expanding the WWF and he was looking for an Indian wrestler to start working on tours in the Middle East. Uh, This is at a time where he was heavily recruiting from Stampede. We discussed that in our uh, Stu Hart episode. That's episode one of Grappling with Canada. Uh, Myself and Heath McCoy go deep into the weeds into that Uh, situation if you will so definitely want to check that out if you haven't listened to that one yet Uh, but also they were moving into markets that they normally hadn't been moving into uh, such as places like Kuwait, uh, the United Arab Emirates, uh, Australia, Hawaii uh, places that were very foreign at the time to WWF WWF, sorry, but places that they were looking to expand. And when you're looking to expand into territories, you want to be taking established stars that have already made their names in said territories. Henceforth, getting a guy like uh, Great Gama Singh on your roster leads that credibility because the fans know him, they're going to pay the money to see him, and it's that touchstone moment for them. Even if they don't know what the WWF is as a company, they know the name Great Gama Singh, so they're going to come out and check it out. Of note, though, interestingly enough, uh, there is a couple of regrets that Great Gama would have, and he would be quoted in an article as saying, quote, Their schedule was so hectic. I said, I'll do the overseas trips for you, but just to wrestle here. He had just gotten married at the time. His wife was not too happy with him being on the road, and he had a newborn baby and all that. The only regret that he he goes on to say in this article, the only regret that I have is that I didn't stay with the WWF, especially nowadays, financially speaking, with the money that they're making now and the exposure that they're getting. At the time when I was with them, they were just kind of starting out. I didn't have any idea how big they were going to be as they are now. Now, this time period of time that Greg Amasings with the WWF was before the big wrestling boom of the late 80s, before Hulkamania, before the WrestleManias, uh, before the Ultimate Warrior. Not that I I have my own opinions about him, but what I'm saying is that he arrived there kind of, he was in the right place at the wrong time, if you will. we we'll just kind of leave it at that. But he was there, and it is something that's kind of overlooked as time has went on, but something that I wanted to touch on uh, as well in the, the uh, in terms of this program today. Now, clearly he had a blast wrestling in Calgary for Stampede Wrestling, but he was quoted in this same article as saying a couple of interesting places being his favorite places to wrestle and not places that you would normally consider uh, somebody having a fulfilling wrestling career until you read a little bit more into it. So he said that his favorite location to wrestle was in the Caribbeans. He would be quoted as saying, quote, In Puerto Rico, I was a heel, and in Trinidad and Barbados, I was a babyface. So I got to do both things at the same time. The money was there, plus the climate was right. And he would go on to talk about his time in South Africa. He would be say, or he would say, quote, uh, South Africa has always been a big market for me. His first trip was there in 1983, and he 
up until the time of this article, which was, I believe, 1998, he was still making yearly trips there. This goes back to our conversation about his time in the WWF. He would be quoted as saying as well, they were looking for an Indian. There was a big market for Indian wrestlers there. My very first trip, we set attendance records in several different places. It just took off like crazy. I made enormous amount of money. I did very, very well. I'm still doing well over there, as a matter of fact. Uh, he would say that he had some fantastic matches uh, with Abdul the Butcher. See last month's episode of Grappling with Canada for a deep dive discussion about him, uh, as well as with the Funks. But, and this is the story that I read, and I reread it a couple of times because it was fascinating. And I had never heard it before, but I can definitely see it play out in my mind's eye. And probably the reason I didn't hear it before is because it didn't happen in Canada. And remember, we're talking about, you know, late 70s, early 80s, you know, into the mid 80s. There's no YouTube. There's no internet. There's no cell phones. There's no anything like that. If you essentially weren't plugged into the wrestling newspapers of which there were very few and a lot of them still maybe would have missed a story like this so uh, unless you were essentially there you wouldn't have heard this story but the story that I'm alluding to I read it and I read it again and I read it a third time before I actually allowed it to sink in and was like oh my god this is incredible why did why has this never come up before so anyways I know I'm preambling and I'm getting into it right now so he would be quoted as saying, and this is in regards to him wrestling a series of matches against Frenchie Martin. Now, this is somebody who we've also talked about in the Abdul the Butcher episode, but also in our Dino Bravo episode uh, with Pat LaPrade and Bertrand Bear on that one. So you can, as I know that we're only in episode nine of this podcast, but in every episode, essentially, it doesn't matter what era these wrestlers are from, there's still these tendrils and these these touchstones from generation to generation to generation from coast to coast in Canada it's crazy and this is a further example of that so he was quoted as saying we did an angle in Trinidad where I was injured in the ring I was leaving Trinidad at the time they carried me out the fans thought I was injured very seriously then what happened was at the same time one wrestler's father had passed away so the word got out from a, a, that I'm going to try that again. So the word had got out from a wrestler's father to a wrestler had passed away to Gama Singh had passed away. So the timing was so perfect. Everyone thought that I had died from the pile driver that Frenchie Martin had given me. The radio stations and the newspapers were all going crazy in Trinidad. They wanted to know what was happening. About two months later, I got to the island for a return match against French Martel or French Martin. And they sold the arena out and turned away 20,000 people. Think about that one for a second. They wrestled in a stadium. They turned away 20,000 people. Two Canadians in Trinidad. It's incredible. Again, I was absolutely gobsmacked that this story is... I've never heard this, and I don't know any wrestling fan who, who may have known this before who hasn't talked about this, but this is absolutely incredible. 
And this just further goes to the fact of, you know, the whole purpose of doing this program is stories like this that nobody has been talking about or it's been lost to the sands of time until you dig it up on an article from 20-whatever years ago. This is crazy. Am I surprised? Yes, to a point. I'm not because of, A, the name value of, of both of the individuals involved. Obviously, Greg Gamasing and Frenchie Martin is no slouch himself. But it, to me, this is just... it further cements the fact that Canada is just so so involved and so influential across the decades across you know the the entire run of what we would call modern or even early professional wrestling just the more I read the more I get into this program the more I'm just astounded about how you know our Although we are large in landmass, we are very small in population, how our wonderful country has kind of uh, shaped the wrestling landscape and continues to today. Now, I also want to make mention that Gama Singh has made a return to professional wrestling. In the year 2018, he signed a contract with Impact Wrestling, where he was the on-screen manager of the Daisy hit squad not desi like they call it and this is something that i get into the program with later with my wonderful guests that you're going to hear after this but he was reintroduced to the wrestling world some of which some of which i'm sure hadn't seen him ever before and he was managing the desi hit squad or pronounced properly the daisy hit squad now of note in that stable specifically uh Obviously, you had Great Gama Singh as the leader, the voice of the Desi Hit Squad, Daisy Hit Squad for those. Uh, you also had Raj Singh, who was, or is, I shouldn't say it in past tense, is Gama's son. Uh, Rohit Raju, who is a tremendous wrestler. Uh, if anybody hasn't seen anything from Rohit Raju, also known as Hakim Zayn for the Chicagoland AAW program which again you're going to hear a little bit more about that with my guest Trent Zuberio later on in the program also as well they had Mahabal Shira uh, or Shira and uh, he was uh, kind of the muscle of the group if you will and then they had some various other uh, members they had uh, Bupender Singh was in it uh, Gersinder Singh was also in it for a little bit and uh, Vikas Kumar as well was uh, was a part of it as well uh, I have my own opinions about what that group actually could have been versus what they ended up being. And that's something that we're really going to expand upon uh, later on in my interview uh, with Transiberia, like I just mentioned. So this is kind of like um, an overview of kind of Gama's in-ring movements, we'll say, throughout his early career in the early 70s. Uh, obviously his move to the WWF in the mid 80s and then his international footprint clearly he made a massive impact like I said in the Caribbeans uh, he made a big impact in Japan as well he had some fantastic matches there and his biggest impact in my opinion was at home in Calgary and this is something that I'm going to expand on a little bit more in a second as we also start moving into talking about uh, the formation and domination of the Karachi Vice. But before that, 
I'm going to pause quick. We're going to play some more classic uh, Stampede Wrestling audio. This is an in-ring interview with Gama Singh. And on the other side, we are going to start getting into the despicable Karachi Vice. You haven't changed. I thought maybe your personality would improve after these years. Another one just bit the dust, dead woman. You had a tough time with them, didn't you notice? Oh, well, just playing with them, man. Oh, sure. You know, you're not looking so bad after all this time for a guy who sits in the back with a microphone in his hand. That's a lot more than I can say. Yeah, a lot all of right, people out there. Yeah, I guess. Thank you, even though we're sitting there with a can of beer, sitting with their wives or girlfriends because they're too chicken, too afraid to come out here and watch a real man in living color. Because they know, Ed Woolen, as well as you do, as well as I do, if they were to come out here with their wives or their girlfriends, they see a real man out here, they probably end up driving home alone. Right, right. You know, I I'm, think not, I'm not done here, I'm not done yeah, here. Don't walk away. You're not done. All right, hurry up. You've what got I another six What I want to know is what I'm doing Wrestling the first and the second match in the preliminaries for guys like Randy Weber. I have proven myself over and over again, not only here, but throughout the world, Ed Willem. What am I doing wrestling Randy Weber, a piece of garbage, when Stu Hart promised me that I would be immediately getting a title shot. But Bruce Hart, which is a stepping stone for me, yeah, is getting right. a title shot for Dynamite Kid, who is coming here in two to three weeks. Dynamite Kid, I am going to be ready for him because I know I'm going to whip now as we move into this portion of the program there is going to be something that we need to discuss and that is racism in the territory now through my research not just specifically with calgary but because we're talking about stampede wrestling very much at the crux of this uh, of this episode today, it is what I'm going to focus on as well. I've read many books, uh, well-written books from many authors about professional wrestling, and it seems to me that the ones written in regards to Stampede Wrestling or the Calgary Territory or really even the Northwest, you'll always see a reviewer. I'll use the term loosely on, you know, uh, whether it's Amazon or whatever. I don't really want to give these things a plug because I'm not entirely certain the reason for it. And I'll explain why I say that in a second. But you'll always see a reviewer who will criticize whatever book, publication, program, whatever, for downplaying racism in the territory. Now... I have a bit of a problem with that and here's why. People, and I don't know why this is, but there are certain people who try to make it seem like the Calgary Stampede territory was an inherently racist territory. Or, by extension of that, that uh, the Stampede Wrestling uh, Office or the Hart family because that's who was running the the promotion are were however you want to phrase it inherently racist and i don't believe that for a second and i'm going to explain a few reasons why if you look at the types of talent that they had in stampede wrestling throughout the years 
there was always quite a bit of visible minority talent, uh, whether it is somebody like uh, the great Gama Singh, whether it, it was them bringing in somebody like Abdul the Butcher. Uh, obviously, we just uh, spoke a great deal about him last month in our episode, whether it was someone like Bad News Allen, who was not at all presented like, you know, the stereotypical black guy that a lot of other promotions, especially in the southern uh, U.S., would present talent. Uh, you had all kinds of talent from Japan, uh, big names like uh, like Jushin Thunder Liger come to mind, like right off the top of the bat. Uh, you had uh, Carlos Colon, who we just mentioned previously, uh, big star from Puerto Rico. Uh, you had uh, Latino talent from Mexico. You had talent from all over the world. And there was never really, in my opinion, and if somebody can quantify this differently, please, I'm open for uh, debate, if you will. But from all the articles I've read, all the books that I've read, all the interviews I've heard, all of the behind-the-scenes information, if you will, that I've been privy to throughout the course of this program, all of this leads me to believe that this is kind of a false narrative and, and a very damaging uh, perspective and point of view to have. When you label a company as racist and then that gets perpetuated throughout the years to where that's, you know, when you research Stampede Wrestling, for example, I'm not saying it's the first thing that pops up is Stampede Wrestling is racist. But if you further a story like that, if you further a narrative like that, eventually it's going to become more well-known, more um, more fabled, if you will. And unfortunately, we see in the internet age, fable turns to fact very quickly. So it, the racism thing, while it does and did exist, not just in Stampede Wrestling, but it still exists all over the world. Unfortunately, we're not done with this ugly monster, and it's not just a Canadian thing. It's not just an American thing, although we admittedly do have a problem with it here in Canada, and that's something that we really as a nation need to strive to do a better job to kind of weed out. To say that, you know, uh, Stampede Wrestling itself was racist and to say that the fans are racist, I think is is that's a it's a pretty horrible thing to say to a group of people. Obviously, there's bad apples in every bunch. Everybody knows that it's not a secret. I'm not denying that, and we are going to fully discuss that right now in the Karachi Vice segment of this episode. But I wanted to kind of dispel this notion that seems to be creeping up a little bit more often. Uh, as I kind of research more into the back scene, uh, back catalog, the back stories of professional wrestling, there's an undertone and an undercurrent that's there. But I think people spend a lot more time reading into that than they do reading into um, the actual happenings in the territories, which I think does a tremendous disservice to the men and women who worked in these territories. So I don't mean to get on a big political whatever about, you know, what's racist and what's not. Believe me, I'm not. But I felt the need to quantify that out the gate because 
we're going to get into some comments here that some people may agree with, they may not agree with. It doesn't matter what you think, it doesn't matter what I think, it matters what the person who said it thinks. And the person who said it is Gama Singh, and somebody else who we're going to be introduced to very quickly is Makin Singh. Now, before we really get into any of that, we'll just quickly discuss how the Karachi Vice Stable uh, came into existence. Again, I'm going to quote this article. Uh, and I should say that this article is from Slam Wrestling. It's from 1998, so it's not the easiest thing to find. It took me a while to find it myself. But in this article, Great Gama went on to say, quote, Everybody still talks about the Karachi Vice. It was an accidental thing how it came about. There was myself and Mike Shaw, who I had changed his name to Mockin Singh, and we had Steve DeSalvo and Kerry Brown. I think we were all doing an interview together. We did a few interviews for a few weeks in a row, and then it just kind of came out. This is the Karachi Vice. Because Miami Vice, the TV show, was quite hot at the time. And then the people just kind of picked up from that. Then the following week, we saw all kinds of signs coming out. Karachi Ice, Karachi Mice, and that sort of thing. We just kind of followed through and kept it going from there. It became quite a hot thing for a couple of years at least. Uh, he's being very modest in that description. Uh, the Karachi Vice was a lot more than just the hot thing for a couple of weeks. And that's a point that I discuss in depth later on with Trent Seberry. So, the Karachi Vice was founded in the 1980s. Uh, it was Gama Singh, Makin Singh, more on him later, uh, Steve DeSalvo, Bakin Singh, Kerry Brown, Rhonda Singh, Ron Starr, and they had managers as well, uh, J.R. Foley and Abu Wizal. Now, this was like the most hated group in professional wrestling. I would say conservatively probably in history at that point now this is before the nwo changed how uh factions how groups would come into wrestling and they just essentially changed the entire game uh this predates that this predates uh like degeneration x or nation of domination all these big um big bad guy groups to quote or to use a, a non-wrestling term for once in the program tonight but essentially this was a group designed to battle all of the top baby faces all of the top good guys in the territory namely uh the hart family uh dynamite kid chris benoit and others so what happened was with this group it was gama singh who already had a reputation as a bad guy and was getting heat with the fans heat being you know the the hatred the vile the booze and whatever from the from the crowd uh, he was already getting that so the idea came about okay so he's got all this heat let's build up a, a stable of, of bad guys that can go against all the good guys and kind of kickstart this thing because at this time stampede wrestling wasn't doing the numbers that they were uh, in the 60s or definitely in the 70s 
So this idea was kind of born out of that. And what you had was uh, essentially people would come in, change their name, uh, join the Hindu faith, however you want to say it, and join Great Gama Singh's uh, Karachi Vice Stable. Now, naturally, Great Gama Singh is the main character in the Karachi Vice Stable. Everybody else, for the most part, was bit players, with the exception of Mockin Singh. Now, non-wrestling fans will have no idea who that is. Most wrestling fans may not recognize who that is. But if you want to spend some of your time and get completely grossed out, throw in your Google machine, Bastion Booger. And I can already hear wrestling fans cringing about that one. But essentially he was a fat, disgusting slob portrayed as such in the WWF. He was greasy and had food everywhere. He was just, he was a disgusting, amorphous blob for a lack of a better way to phrase it. And I'm not knocking the man behind the character but that's what the portrayal was in the WWF they cut his hair off he was just he was he was not uh not a looker as the ladies might say and that was kind of extent they just went full bore with this bastion booger gimmick oh i even hate saying it it's just it, it's such a disgusting <laughs> i hate it so much but anyways so, but when um, when he was in the Stampede Wrestling Territories, we'll be completely honest about it, he was just another big fat guy. I'm not disparaging him, I'm just explaining what was actually going on at the time. So, he was kind of in the background, he wasn't really doing a whole lot in the territory, he had some success but not a whole lot and then he being he being Mike Shaw changes his name to Mock and Sing joins the Karachi Vice and it's like gangbusters like instantly he's got heat instantly the crowd hates him and he knew exactly how to needle the crowd every single time to get exactly the response that he was looking for uh, to illustrate that, I'm going to play a quick audio clip and then I'm really going to dive into the Karachi Vice. So like I said, I'm going to play this quick audio clip of the Karachi Vice. On the other side, we're really going to dig deep into uh, the Karachi Vice. Okay, here we are with the Great Gamma, Champagne, Jerry Morrow and Garfield Ports. And Great Gamma, I want to start with you. I want to say it's good to see you back, but only because... It means you can finally put that Commonwealth mid-heavyweight title up for grabs. People have been getting tired of waiting. Quite obvious, young Derby. The pleasure is all yours. I know the people in Canada have been dying for my presence back in this country, but I hate to tell you people I was on a very, very successful tour of the world. In South Africa, I took on two of the best South Africans and made mincemeat out of them. I went to India, I went to Pakistan, I went to England. I defeated the best that they had to put against me for this title. As you can see, I came out the winner one more time. I've got to ask you, I've got to ask you. Don't stop me, okay. you don't have to ask You're me, let me talk. When You're I'm talking, don't you dare stop me. And another thing, when I went home to Karachi, Pakistan, they gave me the red carpet treatment. The red carpet was laid out in the street of Karachi. 
please the treatment that only a champion deserves, something that you people should be doing the same thing for me here. You haven't done that. You met me in the dressing room. You just gave me a cold handshake. And you should have been on your hands and knees, and you should have kissed the palm of my hand. Okay, I'll put you under a pedestal. Under a pedestal. This belt's going to be resting on my waist a long time because I'm going to take a break. I had a very, very tough time out there. So I'm not worried about putting the title on the line against Chris Benoit, Owen Booth, or whoever you got, because I'm going to involve myself in a bunch of tag team matches and take it easy. Okay. The champagne man? Well, if you say this, when Mr. Gamma Singh, the great Gamma, wasn't there, I told him what happened about Owen Hart, what he went after me and the Maka Singh, which was the tag team champion, and what Owen do. He know about it. Let me say one thing. Everything the great Gamma told me was true. It seems I got here just in time. And let me tell you, since I've been here, I've been talking to the magistrates about the laws that have been being broken by the Hart family about holding out that punk kid hiding behind his belt. Let me tell you, as a legal advisor for the Karachi advice, the champagne man, the great Gamma, a bullet going to reign supreme. The Karachi advice. As long as Garfield Ports is the legal advisor, the sky's the limit for the Karachi advice. Okay, okay. Conceded, these guys have stretch marks on their heads. You gotta admit it. You got a tough assignment. Owen Hart and Jason the Terrible. This could be your Waterloo. I hate to say that. I know you hate you love to say that, King Edward, but don't believe it. Because those beer belly sharecroppers out there know. You know in your heart, and I know there's no way that pea brain and the spineless cockroach is going to beat the combination of Maka Singh and Bad News Allen, the ultimate warrior. This is going to be Christmas early because the spineless cockroach made me wait a long time before he got back in the ring with me, and he's going to hide, I'm sure, through the whole match behind that pea brain who has no brain. The only thing he's got is power. When we get done with them, they're going to know what the law is about. They're going to know what true fear is about. No mercy. No mercy. You know what these two remind me of, Waylon? They remind me of two characters out of the Wizard of Oz. One has no brain and one has no courage. You can make up your own mind which one is which. But I'm going to tell you something, simpleton behind the mask. When we get done with you tonight, Bad News Hour and I are going to set our sights on that North American belt. Like a little Omar's been hiding from us for too long now. He's been hiding it. He keeps tucking it away. He'll even come in the ring with an idiot with a mask just to have a tag match to stay away from us. Get ready, Omar, because one of us is going to get you. And it's going to be before you know it. Okay, I wonder if they'll talk so big after the match. Now, I could wax poetic about the Karachi Vice, uh, what it meant to me, which I do later on in the program with Trent. But I think it's important to hear what the Karachi Vice meant to the individuals involved. So I've plugged this book multiple times, The Tremendous Pain and Passion, The History of Stampede Wrestling, uh, written by a friend of the show and uh, former guest in the first episode of the show, Heath McCoy. Because the way that this set or paragraph, or a few paragraphs I should say is written, is done a lot more concisely and it's a lot more pertinent than I could ever get to. And especially because you hear from the individuals itself. So I'm going to read this to really give you more context about my earlier comments regarding 
you know, if Stampede Wrestling, the territory was racist, uh, if all the fans were racist, that kind of that kind of stuff. So, once again, not my words. This is written by Heath McCoy, but you're going to hear words of the people in the Karachi Vice. And uh, who better to tell you about the Karachi Vice than them? So, the Karachi Vice was the last evil army that the Noble Hearts would face in their hometown ring. From its earliest days, wrestling had exploited societal fears and racial stereotypes. The Karachi Vice, its name inspired from TV's Miami Vice, played on the attitudes of some audience members towards immigrants. That attitude had been made clear for years of, of chance of go home, Packy, and Packy shit raffled the rafters in every arena Gama Singh appeared in. Again, something that we had talked about previously. It continues. Gama, who was East Indian, played a despicable character to be sure. His most vile tactic was throwing fireballs into the faces of his enemies, an ancient trick from the homeland, or so the crowd was told. Gama got his biggest reaction when he fireballed Owen, which you heard that at the beginning of this program. As the heart's baby boy laid sprawled across the canvas, writhing in pain, his supposedly charred face buried in his hands, the fans screamed for Gama's blood. People called Stu's house saying they were going to throw acid on me at the next match, Gama remembers. Stu really had to beef up security. Gama says that he never took issue with the racist chants rising from the audience. In fact, he fanned the flames. All that heat meant I was doing my job, he says. That was my bread and butter. So, Gama was disappointed when Ed Whalen, when the show began airing on TSN. As the crowd erupted into a hearty round of racist chants, Whalen got onto the microphone and ordered them to stop. Listen, he lectured. This show is going nationwide and this is not the image we want to portray of Calgary. Without realizing it, Gama says, Ed was killing my heat. While Bruce takes credit for developing the Karachi Vice angle in 1986, Gama says it was his idea to partner up with Mike Shaw, a sweaty tub of blubber... <laughs> <laughs> what a tremendous phrase from Michigan with hair on his back to match the beard on his face. Shaw, who weighed in at 360 pounds, was a mid-car performer until the decision was made to put a turban on his head and rename him Mockin Singh. We cooked up this contrived notion about Mockin being a born-again Pakistani, whatever the hell that meant, says Bruce with a high laugh. But it worked. Bruce being Bruce Hart, part of the Hart family, and the family behind the promotion of Stampede Wrestling, just to clarify anything for the fans listening at home. Overnight, the Karachi Vice became cult sensation. Shaw remembers walking with his wife in downtown Calgary when a can of Coca-Cola whizzed by their heads. He turned around to see a carload of teens giving him the finger and shouting, Karachi Vice sucks! I kept thinking, what a white guy and giving him an Indian name, it just drove people crazy, says Shaw. If Shaw's gimmick riled up the audience, his shark tongue, shark tongue, his sharp tongue worked them into a frenzy. In interviews with Whalen, he frequently belittled Calgary, rubbing it in when the Calgary Flames lost a game, mocking the Calgary Tower as a symbol of phallic inadequacy. Shaw claims that just before the 1988 Winter Olympics, he received a letter from then Mayor Ralph Klein. It's said that they were trying to promote Calgary as being a kind, loving, western city 
and they wanted me to hold off on my negative comments before the Olympics, Shaw says. Of, co <laughs> of course, I got worse after that. If anyone's going to believe what's said in a wrestling match and not come to Calgary, they couldn't have been sound mind anyway. At the gimmick's height around 1988, there was even a Karachi Vice fan club. While the Hearts sold Karachi Vice t-shirts, fans often showed up wearing t-shirts of their own, bearing insulting slogans such as Karachi Mice and Karachi Lice. A popular poster for sale at the matches featured Mike Shaw, then known as Amok and Singh, wearing a toilet seat on his head. This was appropriate as the baby faces had taken to calling him the Toilet Bowl. What a name. While Shaw and Gamma were the nucleus of the Karachi Vice, at various times the group also included such creeps such as Steve DeSavile, Ron Starr, Carrie Brown, and frizzy-haired female wrestler Ronda Singh. There was a plan to put the 260-pound woman in a bikini and have her come to the ring as the Karachi Queen, but that never materialized. Karachi Vice made every effort to portray itself as a grotesque group of deviants, bringing to wail, bragging to wail in about their dressing room orgies with women who were supposedly fond, who supposedly found them irresistible. On these decadent occasions, the Vice dined, they said, on zesty barbecued eel and Karachi cooler, which according to the wrestling programs, consisted of scotch and cream soda. Now there's a drink! <laughs> the Vice found themselves a manager in the form of Abu Wizzle. Outside the ring, he was uh, Milad Ilazan, I'm saying that last name incorrectly, so I apologize, from Beirut, a hardcore wrestling fan who moved to Calgary in 1970 at the age of 10. Standing just over 5 feet tall and weighing about 130 pounds, he never imagined that he would be a character in the Hearts' roving circus until Bruce stuck him in Arab robes and dark sunglasses, dispatching him to the ring to get to cheat on behalf of the bad guys. So you can kind of see how, yes, there, obviously there is racist undertones in certain segments of the population. It doesn't matter where you are. If it's here in Winnipeg, if it's in anywhere in the States, if it's anywhere in England, if, if th this just exists in a society, it exists. But what they did they being Karachi Vice and more specifically is Great Gama did such a tremendous job to use that against the patrons to rile them up even further to make them pay the money to go to the shows to see him get his ass kicked it's an incredible marketing scheme and it, to me it's just it just shows the brilliance of Gama because there's Look, there's a lot of people who would get scared about having an arena of thousands of people essentially wanting to murder you, and they would not want that kind of notoriety or heat or whatever, so they would very much be okay bowing out of that situation and uh, maybe doing something a little bit different. But he met it head-on and really cemented his legacy uh, with the Stampede Wrestling audience, and, like I said, with Canadian wrestling fans forever, in my opinion. So that's kind of the breakdown of Gama's career, of how the Karachi Vice was born. It was not, you know, it wasn't a 20-year run, and it wasn't like the NWO where you just, 
they kept adding and kept adding and kept adding, and all of a sudden there was 30 people. Got a bit bloated at the end, but realistically, it was a stable that worked, and it served its purpose, and it generated the buzz, which in turn generated the revenue that was sorely needed by Stampede Wrestling at that point in time. Now, to further dive deep into the career of Gama Singh, as well as to further uh, speak about the Karachi Vice, and to really go into Gama Singh's time with Impact Wrestling and the Desi Hit Squad, Desi Hit Squad, as you will come to hear, I'm going to bring it over to my interview with Trent. But before that, I'm going to play one more classic uh, audio clip. And then on the other side, my interview with Trent Saberi. Please enjoy. Karachi Vice, Jerry Morrow, the Champagne Man. Well, for Jim Davis, I'm going And the Karachi Vice is hot now. Now it's my turn and the Maka Singh. More Champagne and more Champagne. Okay, and the Great Gamma, you're looking very smug. You know, Jim Davies, this is totally humiliating. It's actually embarrassing for me to go out to Edmonton and look at it in the second match. Can you imagine a Commonwealth mid-heavyweight champion man of my caliber, a top star throughout the world? I got to put up with this kind of whatever you want to call it. I guess a little puck, a local hero, whatever you want to call him, Chris Benoit. Oh, I hope he hasn't forgotten the last time I chased him away right out of this country. Kid, you got some more waiting for you soon. You step in that ring with me. Okay, a very confident great gamma. Moving on to Muckin Singh. Edmonton, let me tell you one thing. Putting Pillman and Bruce Hart in a match with us for the tag team titles, that's just like having Easter and Christmas on the same day. That's what it's going to be like. Taking the presents, stealing everything. That's what, how confident I am. Camrose, $5,000 battle royal. They must be robbing a bank. There ain't that much money in the whole little hick town. Caster, isn't that what they do to bulls? <laughs> Always the sense of humor in here. All right, my next guest coming up, you may know him from various things such as uh, AAW, such as the We Talk Impact podcast, such as the Backstage Boys Listen to Me Talk podcast, <laughs> or from a lesser, far away known podcast, uh, the old Six Sided Podcast. But very happy to be joined on the line right now by Trent. Sue Barry. Trent, how you doing, man? I'm good, thanks, man. How you doing, man? Good, very good. It's uh, It's been a minute. I think the last time that we had a online discussion, I had joined you on the uh, TNI show. Yeah, you were there for a Thursday review. I was, gosh, was it six months ago? Yeah, it's got to be about that for sure. Maybe. I got time for just flies, man. You know, it, it, this has been the last, well, it's going on two years now. The last two years seems like they have just a blink of an eye of just gone by like out of nowhere so uh yeah it could have been about six months ago i'll have to go back in the uh the old archives and take a look well especially for yourself because i don't know how many goddamn hats you managed to wear at any given time but yeah uh a busy man is putting it very uh very lightly so before we uh get into this program because there are literally thousands more listeners than i ever had on the old six-sided podcast uh tell everybody a little bit about yourself before we get into today's subject matter yeah, well, I'm a Chicago guy, and as you said, a lot of hats. You know, I am uh, a full-time job, family guy and everything, but also I work for AAW Pro in Chicago, which is one of the top indie groups in the, in the country here uh, as a producer. I also do uh, play in two bands. My, my primary band is Hemi, which is a metal band, and then a punk band called Toxic Rock. 
pocket, uh, fit those in and into there. I do a production-based podcast called the Backstage Boys podcast with uh, a long time my friend Basil. He's a photographer for many of the big groups, and uh, we talk about backstage production and whatnot. And then the Total Nonstop Impact podcast, which is the number one uh, Impact Wrestling like podcast network uh, on the planet, basically. So we do the throwbacks, the Asylum show. There's the Thursday post-show review uh, after Impact and Access, pay-per-view reviews, the whole thing. So. Uh, all that, plus uh, I still manage to call my parents every day, so it's, it's doable. <laughs> it's very doable. <laughs> just barely, hey? Yes, yes you got it. <laughs> and just on the topic of AAW, you've done some play-by-play as well. Yeah, yeah, I ventured into that this year. Um, our commentary team is Joe Dombrowski, who was a Ring of Honor's commentator, and um, Tyler Volz, who is a, a Chicago guy or Midwest guy. And uh, basically... When either one of those could not make the last few shows, or a couple shows that they like, one Joe couldn't make, so they asked me to sit in with Tyler, and then vice versa. When you know Tyler couldn't make it, I sat in with Joe. It is an amazing experience to do play-by-play and color commentary. I, you know, we all think we can do it. You know, like we all we put the volume down on the TV, or we all kind of narrate a, a game or a wrestling match in our heads sometimes. And um, until you do it, it truly is an art. And um, being alongside somebody like a Joe Dombrowski, who's such a seasoned veteran uh, for many, many years in the, in the Pittsburgh and uh, Pennsylvania area, and uh, Tyler's been doing it for many years. Like, these guys are just artists, man. And I was just like, wow. You know, and it, it, it took a little bit to kind of get going with it. You know, you're, you, you think you can just jump in and you're just talking. But, man, it's, it's an art. It really is an art to paint an audio picture of what you're seeing in the ring. It's really, really cool. Well, and especially for yourself, because you have such a unique perspective being that you've done the backstage work, you've done the production side of things, you've you've done the podcasting where you're, where you're either reviewing what you've just seen on television live or you're going back into the archives and reviewing things from the past. So you, you already have all of these different um seasonings we'll say but yeah when you're trying to make that complete dish on play-by-play that's got to be something completely different yeah it was cool it, it was it was a very like i said i, I jumped in the guy you know i talk all the time with these podcasts but like man you really have to you have to envision the fact that you are you're narrating a visual and it's not that you're narrating for radio or anything but you are you're enhancing the visual that you're you're showing on to people on tv so it's really cool. You, you're responsible for enhancing that product. And uh, running, you know, running commentary, kind of takes on things, you know, doing a podcast is one thing, but enhancing a visual to me is what, you know, using verbal skills is, is a whole other ball of wax. But it was really cool. It was really, really fun. I, an experience I'll never forget. And I'm open to doing it any time they need me to do it again. Well, I for one, I'm hoping that uh, you get the opportunity again, because like I said, it was I, I saw it on Twitter. I think uh, Truck was all about it, and yes. uh, yeah. and I was like, what? Because I, you know, I, I'm I'm in and out of of Twitter quite often, you know, with with personal life and whatever. But so I saw that and I was like, holy shit! And then and then having to, you know, go back and listen to it and actually hear you make the call. Like, hats off to you, man. It, it's not an easy avenue to just step in but i thought you did a fantastic job and i really hope that you're able to uh to get a few more cracks at it in the near future 
I appreciate it. So you mentioned Truck. He's uh, he's a. I think his name. Mean, you're you're in Winnipeg, aren't you? Yes, sir. You're in Winnipeg, and he's right uh, next. Uh, he's next, next door. door yeah. And, and then Saskatchewan. So yeah, one of these days you have to meet in the middle at some point. He's a he's another uh, one of the legend. One of the, one of the other good Canadians in my on my friends list. You know, alongside you. So well, we can yeah, meet we can meet in the middle as long as he's not going to wear any Saskatchewan Rough Riders gear, because then we might have an uh, might have a situation. <laughs> He's somebody you should interview just from a, a fan perspective. He is a wonderful, to, uh, wonderful guy to, to talk to. I, at some point, I would love for you guys to to just get together and, and discuss just just Canadian wrestling, just fandom. Like he, he really has a great take on stuff. So uh, keep him in mind at some point. It's funny you mention that. So when I when I w- made my appearance on Total Nonstop Impact, um, I had kind of throwing it out there like what are some topics that you guys were kind of interested in hearing in regards to Canadian wrestling history unbeknownst to you guys and the listeners of this show will know because I brought it up a few times when before I started this podcast I had storyboarded the entire first year so uh, from January till December every topic has already been decided this is before I even hit record on the first episode of the Stu Hart program so when I had, or when I was discussing with you guys something that you would like to see, and then you had brought up what what we're going to be discussing today, and I'm looking at, at the board and, and I'm trying to no sell it because we're live on air, and, it, and and we're doing the video portion, eh? So there's me. I'm like, mm, I'm, I'm going to let this one go. But funny enough, yeah. Uh, that's somebody who I'm going to be discussing something with in uh, in the near future. But uh, the reason okay. that we're talking about uh, our subject today is uh, Gama Singh and Karachi Vice. Now, when you had brought that up, I found that very interesting. And maybe some people, some people not familiar with yourself or with your work with Total Nonstop Impact might wonder why a guy from Chicago would be so interested in Gama Singh and Karachi Vice. So before we really dive into it, what was your first kind of involvement or your first time seeing or hearing about Gama Singh and Karachi Vice? First time ever was um, I bought, I think I bought from RF Video, it was a tribute to Owen Hart. And it had a lot of his, his Calgary Stampede stuff on it. And I remember a lot of his feud was against the Karachi Vice. Now, the funny story is my parents are originally from Karachi. Okay, so that's Pakistan. So I was like, huh. I was like, well, that's interesting. Like, yeah, I mean, because you don't, it's not a, you know, it's not a city you hear about a lot in terms of, like, wrestling, right? Like, you'll hear, uh, the, you know, they'll, they'll talk India, if anything, but... Karachi is really not mentioned a lot. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. You know, and I'm like, Karachi Vice. I started exploring into it and obviously looking into it more and just kind of learning more about it and whatnot. And just, and I remember asking my mom, like, you're here on the Karachi Vice? And she's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's like, like, my mom's extended wrestling was uh, Antonio Noki one time came to Karachi in the 60s, in the late 60s, or early 70s, like 71 or something, and fought, um, some, you know, had a, had a match against one of the local guys or something, it was like a big showcase, that was my mom's extent, aside from what she picked up from me here and there, but um, they'd never heard of it, so I was like, I, I, 
yeah. the Garaji. I'm like, I remember thinking even watching, I'm like, dang, it does not look Pakistani at all. But <laughs> from the north, a lot of the people in the northern part of Pakistan are um, are real fair skins. So I'm like, oh, maybe he's from the north, you know? <laughs> like, But so learning he was Bastion, but I'm like, what the hell is this? You know, and then Gamo's Indian. I was like, what? The whole thing was a lie. Like, the whole Garaji match was a lie to me. But it was... Uh, it was cool just to learn about it, you know. What I mean, it was just like it was cool to see that and and just get that little taste, especially uh, being much younger and whatnot. So it was funny. It, it's so interesting, and I I'm sure it came up in our early conversations back when we used to do our old programs about you know your your getting to know the Karachi Vice and and obviously Gama Singh as well. It's just, it's so fascinating to me that. A second generation, you know, I don't want to use the term foreigner. That's such an awful thing to say, but uh, That's <laughs> well, but your 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 roots are from Pakistan, and then you know a a wrestle a Canadian or an Indo Canadian wrestler who starts a group from the place that your parents are from. Just like what a wild series of events, hey? It was nuts, man. Especially when I got to meet Gama and Raj, his son, at um, the Impact tapings in Philly. And I remember just hitting it off with Gama and telling him, uh, you know, just like just telling him a little bit of what I'm basically telling you as well, and just how funny it was. And and uh, we started. Anyway, I mean, the uh, I don't know exactly what region of, of India he's from, but but the language was the same because you know there was the whole you know basically Pakistan was carved out of India, so like there's. A lot of carryover and whatnot. So yes, uh, we knew the. I mean, the language was the same. So I knew. We started. We just kind of started going back and forth a little bit and with some terminology. I was like, "What a trip this is!" You know, I'm sitting here talking to Gama Singh, one of the, one of the, you know, one of the best, and and it was like such a legendary wrestler, especially in Canada, and just just shooting the breeze with him, you know, at, at the ECW arena <laughs> like, of all weird, places. What, what a weird moment, you know. But but I love uh, he was such, especially his resurgence and everything, and you just kind of get to know him more at this time but it was just awesome yeah it was really cool yeah he's originally from Punjab India but I mean like yeah. you like you said there's so many there's so much crossover and everything else yeah there, and, and you know that and that's like one of these disputed parts of India and Pakistan I mean there's such carryover between the two sides and you know it's it's a frivolous war basically that they've been fighting for 50 plus or no more 75 80 years at this point so well it's it's the same thing as like so like my background is croatian but there's like the croatian and serbian and then like it's like what what place belongs to who and all this whatever it's just it's the same stuff right same thing same same exact thing man that whole i don't know what you don't even know what the hell they're fighting for anymore i don't even think they know anymore they they knew about a hundred years ago but, but yeah, they, funny. not now though. <laughs> so you were saying that you you were really introduced during the uh, the tribute to Owen Hart. Now, did you see many of the matches that uh, Gama and Owen were able to have? Yeah, I have them on VHS. You know, I have oh wow! Them. Yeah, I have them on this tape, and it's a rare tape, and it, it just got put. It was put together. Um, it was actually put together prior to Owen's death, and I remember getting it, and it was like. I was a huge Owen guy. Owen's my, he was just one of my absolute favorites. And I, and uh, when I called our video to see what they had, and they said, hey, we, you know, we have this tape. We're just kind of, we added a few more things to it. And we're just, you know, it's a little tribute to Owen. I said, yeah, I'll take it. So it's a VHS. You know, it's a very rare piece. But 
his entire feud with the Karachi Vice is on there. It's pretty crazy. I, and I haven't watched it in years, but uh, I still do have a, v, a VCR, which I can watch it on, but the actual VHS <laughs> is still at my parents' house. I have the, my DVDs made it to my place, but my my VHS collection, i got to get out of their basement at some point. But, uh, <laughs> but, but those matches were great. Like, it was just, you know, I love, I'm an old school guy. I love less formulaic wrestling. You know, like nowadays it's very paint by numbers in a sense. You know, it's a lot of formula. Uh, in those days they played off of the crowd more. You know, it was very impulsive. It was, uh, they knew how to read the ring, you know, read, 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 the, read the room and all that stuff. So it just, it had a, a lot more natural um, energy to it. And, you know, Stampede was one of those big ones for it. And this, and Owen was great at it. Owen just was explosive. You know, he was, the, he was, you know, they always talk about how he kind of saved the, the territory after everybody was leaving and whatnot. So that feud to me was like one of the pivotal feuds of Calgary, uh, of Stampede. And it's like, I think this is truly like, it, it doesn't get enough credit because, you know, people talk about like long-standing feuds of territories like Freebirds and Von Erichs and things like that. But like, man, you know, like the Hart versus Karachi Vice feud is, should not be overlooked. Like this is actually a pretty damn good feud if you really delve into it. And they, they did such a great job of, and we're going to get into this as well, of playing with the, you know, the local hero makes good story, which is, it like you said, it's such a simple story, but they executed it so well. And then you have, you you have your this stable of heels like Gama, and you have like you said, uh, Mockin Singh, and Kerry Brown was in there, and Vakin Singh, and everybody else, right? Yeah. You just you have, and they can all talk they can all cut a promo but they're all more than that they're all believable you believe them as they are really out to get the local guy so then when you have owen and you are completely correct that he really did start that resurgence of stampede in the 80s because they were like late 70s they were on their bit of a downswing uh i believe that's when guys like the stomper was gone uh, Bad News Allen, I don't think was there quite yet. So there was quite a bit of turnover in the territory. So you have this now local boy. Well, how do you really make him? You need that real great foil, that real great bad guy to go against. And there was no better group of bad guys than the Karaji Vice. Absolutely, man. They were a good heel. I'm telling you, it's overlooked because one of those things that the Stampede tapes are so rare. You know, they don't get put out there as much. And it's one of those types of, uh, it's just one of those cases where, like, if, if they were more widely available, more clips on, on Twitter or something, people would see it more. And it just it just takes, you know, people putting it out there. So I, I encourage anyone, if you have the tapes, if you have digitized, uh, you know, feel free to share them. You know, some, there's some Twitter accounts I've seen share some of those old clips and things like that. But, man, don't let these things, you know, just kind of fade away. You know, uh, put them back. I always... I'm a big proponent of if, if, if material exists, like put it into the world rather than keep it on a hard drive or on, on a shelf. So hopefully people can put that. And, and you know, and, and I, should, I should introspect on that. I have the VHS. I should digitize this and, and do the same. I really should put that out there um, because I think it's, it's rare stuff and it, it, it needs to live on. It's funny you say that because wrestling historians, and I, I'm not going to paint everybody the same brush, but... Sure. There's there's a certain section of wrestling historians who are very much, I own this and it's mine. You know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. so the yeah. ones who own 
footage of Stampede or they own footage of Mid-South or they own footage of whatever. Name your territory, name your part of the world, whatever. You know, World Championship in Australia or whatever. There are people who own this, but it's it's theirs. They own it, so they will never yeah. put it out, which is a shame because if, yeah, it's out there and we know it's out there, but if nobody can see it, then it's like, okay, there's only so much you can read in, in books like, you know, Heath McCoy's Stampede Wrestling book or, or like like in Bret Hart's book or in whatever. You can read till your till the cows come home, right? But if you can't physically see it, it it's it's totally different. It's it's a shame, like you said, that, that a lot of this is just kind of stored on bookshelves or stored away know, wherever, like, and it's not being digitized. And I, I, I understand what you're saying. Like, yeah, you know, guys like you who have these VHS tapes and whatever, and I, to a point I get it, but there's a vast, vast library and of resources that like I know personally as well that people have that just, they just don't, don't want it out there and I I don't understand why that is yeah I think it's I mean some of it's time too like I can I can easily say yeah I should be doing it but it's like you know I, I, I mentioned at the top of the show all the things I do it's like when am I gonna find time to sit down and digitize this stuff well you and know? you're not cutting out a phone call with your parents either let's be honest let's be That's real right. absolutely not. <laughs> not not for muck and sing you know what I mean like it's just <laughs> nah but you know it's one of those things where like if, if you want to you'll do it you know if you have time but uh but I I truly encourage I mean we could also look at the source too. I mean, all these, um, a lot of these tapes are housed at, at you know over there in Stanford, Connecticut. So they should. It'd be nice if they start digitizing some of the stuff and putting it on their network and all that stuff. They, you know, who knows? But at least we know it exists. It's out there. And if you ever want to find it, I, personally, between you and I, 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 I would think like if you're the talent, it's you're. I mean, I'm thinking like I know Gama's an older guy, but like I don't know, maybe tell his son like, hey man, you know, put my stuff out there. Like, get me over. Like you're. <laughs> Have put the kids to work, or like find some fans. You're like, hey, listen, I'll, I'll pay you a couple bucks. Uh, here's here's some tapes. Can you digitize and tweet this out? Like I, and this is not the sidebar too much, but man, it, it blew my mind during the lockdown when there was no shows going on. How few wrestlers really put out their own material? Very and, few. And, and I was like shocked, that, especially ones who were signed to TV. And I was like, man, you guys have an endless array of photos clips and, and videos and why why wasn't your Twitter I mean when there's no shows and you're all stuck at home I am like man this is the perfect time to just put all like a photo a day a clip a day like just blast the internet with your stuff just so you're like hey you know what I'm gonna use this time to get over some did now some absolutely did but many didn't man and it blew my mind so I'm thinking like yeah it does line a talent too because for me, I, I, I'm already proud of the work I've done and anything. So I'm, to me, I'm like, man, I just want to put that stuff out there. So if it's, yeah, I mean, if I'm a talent, like, hey, man, like, hey, Gamma, hire the grandkids or something. Like, hey, kids, I'll pay you some some money. Start start clipping grandpa's stuff. And yeah. Start it <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever it is. But uh, hopefully that stuff gets to live on. Not that I, I don't want to telegraph next month's episode already. And this is a discussion we can have off air, but next month's episode during my research and during interviews with one of the guests I found out that this person actually has every every championship match that they ever wrestled on film and oh wow and they are they're deceased now but 
somebody is in possession of that knife. If my memory serves, and I, I'm going to have to re-listen to the audio that I have, um, that that is in the process of getting digitized. So there's going to be, hopefully, in the coming year, because maybe a couple of years, because it's a lot of film. Uh, so there, there could be a lot of stuff coming down the pipe uh, in the in the next couple of years. But that's a conversation that uh, that I'm gonna have to save for for our next month's episode. Oh, okay, cool. We'll but uh, yeah, like I said, we'll we'll discuss that off air. But uh, um, in in regard or sorry, in terms of uh, Gama Singh, so you had mentioned you saw him during the Stampede tapes, but then you had the up close and personal experience with him. Uh, with his latest run with Impact Wrestling. Can you tell me uh, how, and some of this I know because we've discussed this previously, but for everybody listening at home, how did you come about meeting him and what was your first impression of meeting him, the man, versus meeting him on tape from from an FMW tape? Oh, so, um, so yeah, the reintroduction via Impact, you know, that was one thing, so kind of seeing that and, getting to get the reintroduced to the him and that way and everything with the Daisy Hit Squad and all that stuff. And um, I got really close with uh, Rohit Raju because he works here at AAW a lot under his other moniker, Hakeem Zane. So I got to know him pretty well. We kept, we hit it off really well. Uh, and then so I knew him. So you know, when I was in Philly for uh, for those tapings, I went to go say hello to him. Raj was familiar with me because I you know, spoke on Twitter a little bit. And then I, I say, yeah, I said, is your father? I'd love to just meet your father. And he was there, and I introduced me to his dad, and I met his dad. And we just started, like I said, we just started shooting the shit a little bit and just talking, and uh, just a sweet guy, you know. I mean, reminded me of like hanging out with my uncles, you know. Like it was just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just that talking like the phone talk uh, to one of my uncles and stuff. But 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 Rohit would always put him over so much. It's just such a wealth of knowledge and such such a good guy and like the teachings he gets from him and everything like that it just it was incredible to to hear the respect Rohit had well because the thing is interesting with Rohit though he's half Indian um his mother was Indian his father was black and he wasn't and his mom I believe he told me she was raised by somebody else or she she was not she was not in touch too much with her Indian roots as much yes so he never got much exposure to him like he doesn't know the language and didn't know much of the culture because um, his mom was so separated from it and whatnot. So it, for him, it was a learning experience to be around Gama and he just to learn the culture, you know, and, and Gama would teach him as like an uncle would in a sense, you know. So uh, it was interesting because I was, I was just talking to Rohit about that and he was like, yeah, he goes, I'm learning more now talking to Gama than I ever did as a kid. So it was it was very interesting in that in that regard, but uh, but yeah, just getting to know meet him that way and um, talk to Raj, you know, about maybe one day getting him to the U.S. and seeing what we can do some indies and stuff. And he got hurt, you know, so it wasn't didn't work out. So he was he was hurt, and I would love to maybe if, if things hadn't shut down, it would have been nice to have Raj and, and Gama, you know, could both come out. It would have been really cool. So, uh, but we'll see. You never know the future. What the future holds on that. I remember when. And they pronounce it the Desi Hit Squad, and that's a whole conversation that we're going to get into right away. <laughs> but uh, I remember when they were first introduced and they first started teasing that stable because that was the very early stages of 
of both of our former programs that we used to do. So, so you and I were very high on, like immediately we were like, this is going to be awesome. And we were so excited for it. And it came and went and it was uh, to quote myself flatter than a plate full of piss. Like, I know that you and I, I were. Love that term. We, I love <laughs> we were. You and I were so disappointed because, and I'll speak for myself, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Sure. But when when I saw the look, when I saw the style, when I saw the the music and the ambiance and everything that they were bringing to the table with Gama Singh, uh, with you know putting Rohit and that whole stable together. I was like, man, this this could be like the top heel group in professional wrestling if they would do it if they would not go back to the old formula, but do a play off of off of it. I'm not saying like, oh, these evil foreigners, but you could have these guys who are who come from a different background, who wrestle a different way, who are more violent because they do things a different way, etc. They're there were so many avenues that they could have pursued, and and we ended up getting comedy. It was comedy, and it was they never got credible wins. No, that they never the did. They never. The thing, the reason, like, like, like using the Karachi vice as the example, the reason that worked was like they they got wins. They were able to one up all these these baby faces and and look like these dominant heels, and yeah, they'd get their comeuppance later on, but. Daisy Hit Squad never got a moment. They just they they were constantly losing. I'm like, how do you build a credible group when you're constantly having them lose? And then on top of that, the comedy. Now, comedy can work. Yes, it can, a hundred percent. Yeah, it can work, especially if the guys are getting some wins, and then they, you know, then you have the the old fall in the banana peel comedy that the heel. Oh, he lost. I'm like, like you know, by, by a joke, and he can react all strongly and whatnot. But they were losing clean every time and on top of which there was comedy i'm like you can't have both though you cannot have both here and expect credibility from this so it was such a mess the way it was handled i'm like why i just don't understand why it was handled that way you brought in gamma you're doing all this you have a good you have a great ringleader in in rohi and i'm like what in the hell is going on here but so mishandled to me so beyond mishandled I remember when that when that whole angle was going. Well, not even angle because they really didn't get off the ground with anything. But when that group was active, well, that's a better way to phrase it. And every week you and I would watch, and every week we would just talk between ourselves of like, what is going on? Because, yeah, and then the, the other part for me that was very frustrating, and and it, it was disappointing. And I, you know, and for everybody listening at home, I know we don't normally talk about current or modern day wrestling, but this is one of the very few times where somebody from wrestling or Canadian wrestling history, the past is now interjected in the, in the present. And he's still active, I believe with impact in some way, shape or form, but getting back to this whole, uh, quote unquote, uh, Desi hit squad. And again, we're going to get to cover that in a second, but for me, so it's, it was one thing for the, for the group to, to get job built like they were, but then you have now wrestling fans who have never seen Gama Singh before looking at him of like, like who, who, why is this guy important? Who is this guy? Because yeah. he, he just looks like a feckless leader. And th- right. this is, this is not, 
this is not the guy who's throwing fireballs in Owen Hart's face in Stampede Wrestling, right? This is not this is not a guy who was walking down the streets of Calgary getting death threats because he was going against. Now he was just presented. It, uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting hot here, but it was so frustrating for me because it's there was so much promise and there was so much potential and there was so many avenues that could have been explored to further even not just Gama's story, but like Indian wrestlers in, in, you know, North American wrestling, because again, that's something that's not, not well used or not well pursued or whatever. You have the stereotypes and that's another conversation. But to me, the whole thing was just, Ah, it was the whole, it was just one big ball of frustration. Well, what got me about it was, it's like, number one, you didn't give it to a new viewer. Like, you and I knew who he was, but like, man, to most viewers, they didn't know who Gamble was, right? So, why not show some old clips? Why not yes. build the credibility be like, hey, this is fucking Gamma Singh. Sorry if I can't swear on this, but I was like, this is Gamma Singh. And it's like, like you said, that death threats on the streets of Calgary, the fireballs, he was an evil heel. Like, show that, and then be like, he's bringing all that to these two young boys who he's going to teach and, you know, make as dastardly as him. None of it. It was like, here's Gama saying, here's an interview. But, and what killed me, Daxman, about this, was that you have Scott and Don, who are two Canadians who grew up on Gama Singh, who grew up watching this guy. And you guys didn't think to do anything? Like, why didn't you think you should put him on? Like, yeah, I know you guys know who he is. Like, clearly, Don was a big fan of his. We know, you could see it in the interactions. Don was a huge Gama Singh guy. But, my God, Don, like, why didn't you feel like you needed to build that, that same kind of cred for the U.S. audience and the, and the modern-day audience who's just getting exposed to him now? I mean, come on. <laughs> like, you can't just throw the guy out there and be like, here you go, here's Gama Singh. Like, no, he's a freaking legend. You know, like, let's show him off a little bit. Nothing. So I don't know if you're familiar with this, but and it's been canceled for a long time now, but Don and Lance Storm used to have that podcast killing the town. Did you ever hear any of that? I used to love that show. Okay. So did you hear the, did you hear the one when they had Gama Singh on? Yes. Yes, I sure did. And you can, you can just hear the adoration in in Don's voice with that one. So there in that program, they do a tremendous job of talking about the background, talking about, you know, how, how evil he was as a heel, as the, as the bad guy. They, they they spent time going into what he meant in Calgary and abroad and what he meant what it meant for him to be such a, a dastardly foil for the for the good guys and whatever. See you have and it was it was like maybe six months later he was on television and it's not the same guy. It's it's like it's it's like they they did that part and I'm not saying this is what they did, so please don't misquote me, but it's almost like they did that podcast and they're like, hmm, let's use none of that at all, and let's do this totally different whatever. And what we got was just oh, very frustrating. It was. It, it, was, it was just weird. Like it, To me, it's like you you know what you should have done, and you guys didn't. And I don't know. It felt like a rush job. You know, uh, much of like my, some of my frustration with Impact today, it just feels like a, a rush job in, in certain areas, and it's not really... Uh, being long-term thought out if you, for things to work, and um, I, I was disappointed. Now, I have, I understand he's still under contract. Um, obviously, things got a little bit 
start off with the lockdown and him not being able to travel and, and being a little bit older. So I'm assuming they'll find a way to tie him back in at some point. I just don't know how now you do. Maybe with Raj or the solo. I don't know. But um, we'll see. We'll see where they go with it. So I, I've alluded to it a few times. So Impact would call them the Desi Hit Squad. Yeah. I, I was taught very early on by yourself it would be pronounced the Daisy Hit Squad. So yeah. can you just explain that one to everybody listening at home? <laughs> just the pronunciation is Daisy. You know, it's uh, it means uh, from what my dad told me, it means like Daisy's like a, a per like a man of the land of the of the South Asian land. It's a Daisy, you know. And I think the pronunciation is very simple. It's like they saying the words they see, like they see this coming. They see that that's it. They see Hit Squad. That's what all the word is. And it would kill me that Josh Matthews would be like, Desi Hit Squad. I'm like, there's no Z in this. Thing. There's no Z anywhere to be Desi. You could see that, you know, you could, I don't, I could not, it would blow my mind. And I remember I would rant on it on the show. And then like the following taping, you'd hear Josh Matthews correct himself. And I'd be like, oh, he's clearly listening to us. Because yes. I, I want to go off on it, right? And then, uh, and then he'd go right, fall right back into it. And then it would be like, Desi Hit Squad, Desi. I'm like, Guys, it's not Desi Arnaz here. Okay, I get it. Like you're saying Desi Arnaz is spelled the same way, whatever. They see his squad. I'm sh- and I'm like, hey, some, somebody back there. Like, there's a couple Indian guys back there. Can you guys correct him? You know, <laughs> like somebody. Tell- I don't know. Like it's a small thing, but it would just make me laugh. Like this is you can clearly say the words they see. <laughs> like yeah, they see that they're pronouncing this wrong. You know, to so just say it like that. It was, oh my god, mind blowing. <laughs> but does does this not play into something? A little more I'm not going to say nefarious because that's not the way to say it but does this play into a little bit more of, of wrestling's lack of understanding of different cultures and I'm, yeah. t- I'm talking about now we're strictly speaking about modern professional wrestling because Absolutely. Uh, back in the territory days you would have and we're going to push the whole racism aspect aside for just a second because that will be a topic I think that we're going to come up to in a second but you would have guys like like Fritz von Erich in in Dallas who would play a German SS officer because yeah. not in a quote-unquote racist way but in a way because he's a bad guy the the German SS were bad guys it was it was a character uh that he he had cultivated and used in that arena uh you had Gama Singh in Calgary, same thing. He was playing off his his Indian heritage to a predominantly, you know, white. They call it the Texas of of Canada as Alberta, but so he, he he's playing this character for that type of for that type of wrestling fan. You would have uh, guys in the Montreal territory like Dino Bravo or like Edward Carpentier, who were, they were the Frenchmen, and they would go to different territories as that Frenchman. You, you have all of these individuals from very unique cultures who were very much allowed to portray this culture, this style, this flavor, if you will. And yeah. now in professional wrestling, it seems like if you have somebody of specifically of color, because we see it all the time, 
they're either not allowed to be that type of individual because oh that's racist quote unquote depending if that would be depending on how they're presented of course or they're presented as a caricature so you have somebody like Rohit Raju who just is you you can place so much off of what he does yeah. uh, what his background is but it's never talked about it's never discussed whatever same thing with Gama when he was in Impact same thing with Jinder Mahal in WWE same thing with you go on and on and on and on down the list it's almost like nowadays wrestling is more concerned with being a caricature of itself rather than having these you know real life people with real life backstories who come from real places i don't know maybe we should play that up instead of no we're just gonna we're gonna give you a gimmick name and and now you're now you're this it's it's so odd well look at look at look at the pure ignorance in this uh going right back to the root of all this they were calling the group Karachi Vice, and not a single guy was from Karachi or Pakistan in the group at all. Yes. <laughs> like, the ignorance of that is, is hilarious to me. You know, it's like, guys, you could at least just called it, like, I don't know, Delhi Vice, because at least Gama's Indian, right? Like, yeah. But, like, you had three white guys in the Karachi Vice. <laughs> <laughs> it's only in wrestling <laughs> like i've yeah. used that phrase a few times now but it's it's, it's absolutely true it's just but yeah it, to me it almost seems like and specifically speaking about the the daisy hit squad that you could have used like that it would it would have made the 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 presentation that much more special and important but yeah. instead we you know we go to the old wrestling tropes and we got what we got, which was very disappointing. 
is how we can tie this whole thing together, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. It just falls back into its own own thing. I feel like it's a lot of reasons why sometimes wrestling has uh, the reputation it does, you know? It's because it it doesn't set itself to a certain standard. And um, that happens. That absolutely happens, unfortunately. So, (laughs) whatever it is, man, I don't think it'll change much, (laughs) even now. No, I don't think it's going to change in our lifetime, no, <laughs> unfortunately. But so. it would, yeah. I I don't know. And I'm like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. You know, I I don't even know how to phrase this properly. But I'm not saying that like every person has to be blank from blank because that's not the proper way to go about it yes. either. But but you can definitely use some some cultural touchstones to influence that individuals you know on air persona i i hate using the word character but you understand what i'm saying absolutely absolutely yep and it would just in in the case of the daisy hit squad it just i think i think you and i are in complete agreement that it that that would have uh that would have really enhanced what they were able to to uh bring to the table if you will yeah A hundred percent. You know, it obviously it was by default because they, uh, because they, um, uh, the pandemic, you know, locked everything down and whatnot, but, and he couldn't really continue the hit squad, but, but yeah, I mean, his breakaway was just kind of by default, but yeah, it could have meant a lot. He could have really had something, you know, even down to him burning the, the corset that he was wearing, you know, like, like, yeah, I'm done with this, you know, like something, something to give it something, but it didn't really go that way. So you know, have Gama send in some promos, have Raj film something. You know, we're seeing what's going on. If we could be there, we we take care of you, and we'll one day we'll get back. I don't know, just something that something to act like you you gave a shit about it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, rather than rather than unfortunately what we got. Yeah, that's all. So it was weird. It was just a, a very a very. It, you know what's funny? It's it almost like it had the same laziness to it in terms of like the thought process behind the Karachi Bites not even having a, a Pakistani in it. Yes. So that same like, eh, whatever, throw a couple guys in there. It's like, that's what this was, eh, whatever. Just put them out there. You know, hey, that's why it, that's why the Indian gimmick will never ever get that that respect that it really should. And I think speaking of Kama, his nephew is Jinder Mahal, correct? Yes. From what I understand, and I don't watch their program much, but from what I understand, they made him more of a killer than anything. I, I mean, as far as previous Indian characters go, from what I understand, I mean, they made him a champion, but I know they they did present him like a stronger kind of killer um, than previous 
you know, like like the uh, what's his name, Kali, and all those guys were, I guess, right? They did for for a certain amount of time, and then it then they went the standard WWE thing where it's oh. then you then then he's a comedy act, and then then you just bury the guy because there was there was a lot there was a, a period of time there when he was a champ and they credit to them because they actually did present him as a as a credible champion you know far far too many times you see a guy who's just he's he has the belt but he's not you know he's not the guy you can tell so the credit to them they actually did do a, a fairly good job of of the initial presentation but you know then it's i i it goes back to something that you had just said, right? It's you wrestling just continues to not present, you know, the Indian culture, if if that's a proper way to say it, as something that's sustainably presentable, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I think I think it takes it takes work. You guys gotta you, they gotta think about it. They gotta you gotta put some thought into these kind of things and you really gave give a shit about it you'll do it right <laughs> so i think sometimes they get back burgers but we'll see what happens in the future yeah yeah i i 100 agree and then and then like like you said earlier we'll see, can't wait to see if uh if gama does make a reappearance with impact wrestling and uh if he does maybe maybe they'll do it right cross your fingers yeah we'll see man all right, so as we uh, start to wrap up this section of the program, just do you have any closing thoughts on uh, on either Gamma or the Karachi Vice? No, just really cool stuff. You know, I, 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 it was it's a fun thing to watch. I absolutely feel like they were a good heel group to watch. It's very eighties, you know, nineteen eighty style heel group. So if you're you're gonna go discover it, um, don't expect you know NWO levels. Of yeah. <laughs> awesome takeover. They're not spray painting people's backs, you know, but. Uh, but do enjoy it for the fact that it was pure, just, you know, when this is the time where people thought, we all thought it was real at this time, okay? So you watch this, you see the the blonde hair, blue-eyed Owen Hart, you know, getting getting beat down, but then getting his, uh, his rise off of it. So it's a lot of fun to watch. I highly encourage people watching it, and uh, it's, it's a really... It's a really interesting time and a somewhat forgotten time, but hopefully we can we can rehash a bit. And uh, for yourself, your uh, various hats that you wear, uh, what's coming down the pipeline for yourself? You know what? I am. Uh, well, I was going to say the music's getting back to, to things with uh, with playing live, but uh, with everything going wonky in the U.S. here again, we're not sure. But uh, definitely live again with Hemi, my uh, my metal band that I'm in. So we're we're back to that. So HemiMusic.com and all the links are there, but definitely uh, check that out. Uh, Wrestling-wise, though, uh, he and I podcast, which was I, would, I invested a lot of time and, and love and money and whatever into. Uh, we did we used to do the Thursday post show, and I no longer do that. I have a bit of an issue with the current product. I don't think it's it's not the TNA I grew up on. I mean, I'm I'm a day one guy, so for me to step away from the podcast, I'm still watching it, but it more so was like I can't believe that this is what they're doing now. And they're losing their identity in certain things. I just said, you know, I, I can't put this over with a straight face right now. I feel like it goes back to what I felt was uh, what made them who they are. And um, so it's a bit of a weird time for me there. Plus some man- dealing with management and stuff just really rubbed me the wrong way. So I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to step away from this now. Let the other team, the rest of the team handle the Thursday show. But I'm still doing the Thursday, the Tuesday night post show. Oh, I'm sorry, the Tuesday night roof, the uh, throwback show. Yes. We're doing the asylum shows from uh, 2002 to 2004. 
and we're on episode 83 of 111. This is before they leave Nashville and go to Florida to the Impact Zone. So uh, doing those, it's a blast. I, that's what made me love the company, so it's been a blast to rewatch those again. So uh, doing that on Tuesdays, and I'll pop in. We have a Patreon uh, we talk, at patreon.com slash Impact bonus show, so I'll pop in on the bonus stuff. But, uh, but as far as the Thursday primary post show, I'm no longer on that. However, I am doing the Backstage Voice podcast still, which I mentioned at the top of the show. So it's a little behind-the-scenes take on independent wrestling. Uh, but the big thing is AAW Pro, uh, full full calendar. I mean, calendar's been back. We've been right back to where we, uh, we wanted to be. So shows are on. The big one coming up, Destination Chicago, is on September 2nd. It is basically during that all-out weekend, which is all festivities of AEW going on in Chicago. So they're here all week, uh, and we're right there on Thursday kicking off the weekend party. So uh, put it this way, half, if not 60 to 5 to 70% of the AEW roster has come through AEW's doors. So you never know who's going to show up. You don't know who's good in town, who wants to make a pop-in, but we are... For a long time, it was us and PWG who were kind of setting the rules on indie wrestling and who's the next star call-ups, you know? So for us to uh, kind of be back in that and right in the thick of things with everything opening back up, it's been a blast. So Destination Chicago, one of the premier events, it's the first one back in the city itself. While other shows have been in the suburbs, this is right at the Logan Square Auditorium, a historic venue. So we are going to have a really good time on this weekend. Uh, along with everything else coming up, the, the Jim Lynham Memorial Tournament, which is a 16-man tournament, it's in October, two days long. Got that coming up. It, there's the whole calendar on AAWPro.com. Looking forward to that and looking forward to your uh, further potential on-air appearances as well with AAW. I, I might be. Now, there's a rumor. I might be doing the in-ring open at the Logan Sprott. Oh, wow. I might be. I, I was told last night, I said I asked uh, Danny Daniels, who's the owner of AEW, he used to be an ECW, if anybody's familiar with Danny Daniels was the heel referee turned wrestler uh, who screwed Jerry Lynn and, you know, getting in, involved in all that, uh, all the feuding there. So uh, Danny owns uh, AAW, but he was, I was like, you going to do an in-ring open? Just kind of welcome everybody back? And he's like, eh, maybe I'll have you do it. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was like, all right, well, just let me know. Well, I've, I, for one, am looking forward to that and uh, looking forward to everything that you have coming on in the future as well. Um, you mentioned the Backstage Boys. I mispron- mispronounced that earlier. <laughs> um, we talked about We Talk Impact. We talked about AEW Pro, but where can people find you as well? Uh, Trent Zuberi on Twitter is my, my Twitter handle. Just find me there. All my And I retweet all the stuff from my other projects. But if you look in my feed, you'll see all the other stuff I'm involved in. Uh, so check that out. But yeah, Trent Zuberi on Twitter. R-E-N-T-Z-U-B-E-R-I is my Twitter handle. It's probably the best way. It's my it's my only public face facing forum outside with, outside from the project which are all public, but my own personal public facing forum is probably just Twitter. Tremendous. Well, Trent, thank you very much for your time today, man. I'm gonna have to have you on again. Any anytime. Oh, and, and you know what? If you want to jump on, I, I I don't have too much power on the Thursday show anymore. But if you want to show jump on the uh, an old throwback episode of uh, of TNA. Definitely uh, go free on a Tuesday night. Let me know. There we go. Might have to take you up on that. Got it, man. Thanks, brother. You got it. Anytime. It's a pleasure. As we move to the finish of tonight's program, I just really want to thank once again Trent Siberi for taking a ton of time to talk with me in regards to uh, Gama Singh and Karachi Vice. 
Uh, Trent has a wealth of knowledge both in front of and behind the camera of the wrestling business. So any chance I have to talk to him is, is really a treat. And I hope that uh, everybody was able to kind of get a glimpse of, uh, of the mind that the man holds, if you will. Uh, once again, want to also thank everybody for checking out the program. Uh, we've gotten a ton of five-star reviews on Good Pods. Unfortunately, no names or anything was left, so I can't give anybody specifically a shout-out. Uh, once again, for anybody who doesn't know, if you leave a five-star rating and a review, uh, then I will make sure that I shout that out on the next available program. But one person I did want to sh- actually want to show it to a couple of people, uh, but one for sure is uh, Craig Baird. He is the host of Canadian History X. Uh, he does a multitude of, of Canadian-centric podcasts uh, focusing on history. He has From John to Justin that was focusing on the Canadian Prime Ministers and their opposition uh, parties. He also does uh, World War I uh, podcasts as well as one regarding the Canadian Pacific Railway. So, uh, yeah, Craig just sent me uh, sent such a nice uh, note and I wanted to give him a shout out on the air. He said, and he was going, I should preface this, he was doing a cross-Alberta drive to go through all of the historical sites in the province, which I thought was super neat. Uh, but anyways, he said on Twitter, I've been catching up on a lot of podcasts while I drive my tour. Even if wrestling is not your thing, this podcast is fantastic. This is in regards to our Abdul the Butcher episode. Well-researched, a great host, archival audio, great guests, interesting topics, and so much more. Give it a listen. It releases monthly. So, Craig, I just wanted to thank you very much for that. You didn't have to say uh, that, and it was uh, super nice. And Craig is, is such a great guy. A great follow on Twitter as well. Uh, I would highly suggest everybody go give him a follow. Uh, at C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I have that memorized from uh, his various podcasts that I get a kick out of listening to. So, once again, Craig, thank you very much for that one. Uh, there also was somebody else I wanted to give a shout out to because I, when I post these um, episodes up, I do my usual social media blitz, which also includes uh, Reddit. Although, I don't know that Reddit really does anything for me, but I just always feel like it's just another place to maybe get some exposure and put it out there. And I hadn't really ever gotten any kind of traction or reaction or anything like that until this past month again with the Abdul the Butcher episode so I just wanted to shout out uh his screen name or her screen name don't even know if it's a man or a woman or or whatever uh Dundee's Working Punch said some really nice things about the program uh last month in regards to the Abdul the Butcher program so I just wanted to give a shout out to Reddit user uh Dundee's Working Punch that was pretty sweet so uh it just makes it makes doing this all worthwhile and it makes you know that that little bit of interaction makes it uh makes it fun so thank you everybody for the kind words uh like i said if you go to your way to leave a five star rating and review whether it's on itunes or pod chaser or good pods or if there's any other rating and review uh platform that i'm missing out Uh, If you leave it there, I will be sure to read it on the next available episode. Also, if you want to leave a review on our Facebook group in regards to the episode as well, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. 
and uh, I'll make sure that I get that out on the next available episode. So there's a couple of things that I teased at the top of the program that I want to get into before we kind of close up tonight. Uh, one is t-shirts. They will be ready for October. Uh, I've been talking about this for a few months. Unfortunately, I've been delayed with work, with home life, with construction bills. <laughs> My house, it's been, it's been a struggle. So I'm going to have them ready for October. Now, if you're new to this program, and because I don't really mention it every month, uh, what I'm going to be doing is it's going to be a limited run, uh, 50 shirts of the classic Grappling with Canada logo with the Canadian Maple Leaf flag. I'm only doing 50. Once they're sold out, they're sold out. Uh, the proceeds of these t-shirts are being donated to the Children's Hospital here in Winnipeg. Uh, if anybody knows the story of my youngest daughter from the Six-Sided Podcast program or... I, I may have mentioned it in one of the earlier programs of this podcast. I, I don't really remember, but essentially our youngest daughter spent uh, the first few months of her life in NICU and the staff there was incredible. And ever since, I've always wanted to do something um, above and beyond for, for the hospital. So this is one thing that I thought of that I, I thought would be a good idea. So... Uh, once again, look for these in October. If, and I want to stress this, if you specifically want a size or you want to make sure that you are in on the ground floor, uh, shoot me an email, sixsidepod at gmail.com, or you can DM me on Twitter. Uh, on twitter.com, it would be at six underscore podcast. Or you can shoot me a message on the Facebook group uh, Grappling with Canada. Uh, just let me know if you want a certain size. Uh, a few of you already have. I still have those emails. They haven't gone away. So if you thought I've lost them over the last few months, I haven't. I still have them. So if you are looking for a specific size, if you want to make sure that I order enough of a specific size that you're guaranteed to get one, uh, please don't hesitate to shoot me an email. Um, and like I said, when they are released, there's only going to be 50. That's it. And the proceeds are going to the Children's Hospital here in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. So I think like that's a, that's a pretty good cause at least. So I'm looking forward to that. In regards to the direction of this program, it is staying the way it is. Uh, I've had a lot of... <laughs> of emails lately in regards to this program joining a network or joining some kind of an agency or anything like that. Uh, I'm going to unequivocally say that this show will not be doing any of that. Point blank, period. Full disclosure, before I ever uh, released episode one of this show... I had pitched it to one specific podcast network uh, that is kind of in the same vein as what I'm doing right now. I'm not going to say what it is because it's not really relevant. Uh, they never got back to me. And to be honest, I'm kind of glad about that because this program has been allowed to grow and mature and find its footing without any kind of outside influence, which 
I've been very appreciative of. A lot of that comes from you guys, the listeners. Literally, we have thousands upon thousands of you each month that listen to this program, and I couldn't be more happy. I don't sit there and and chart numbers and look at metrics and drag here, click this, spreadsheet bullshit. I'm not doing that. In fact, the last time I looked at any kind of numbers for any episode was was uh, maybe the Billy to Rivers episode. And how long ago was that now? So anyways, this program will not be doing anything like that. I'm also not going to be uh, paywalling any of this ever. That's not the point of this program. The point of the program is exploring Canadian wrestling history, exploring these great stories like the one I just told tonight about uh, Great Gama Singh. You can't do that if it's stuck behind a paywall. And I get the argument behind it, and I understand that there's, you know, some podcast who will sit there and read Wikipedia and put it behind a paywall because it's whatever. Maybe it's their job for life or whatever. Or, you know, they have a network of, of shows without ads on it where they sit there and read The Observer and, and go page by page for whatever. I get it. You know, shows got to make money to a point. Uh, I have a full-time job. I don't do this to make money. I do this because it's something I'm passionate about. And it's because I really care about getting these stories out there. And from what I gather from everybody that reaches out to me, and from the amount of listens that we get, like I said, I haven't looked at it in a few months, but what if I'm sure it's it's what it was, uh, there are a lot of people who feel the same. So once again, thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart, everybody who has checked out this program, uh, whatever podcasting platform you're listening on, uh, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Good Pods, which I highly recommend, or Podchaser, whatever. If you have the option to leave us a five-star review and rating, please do. Uh, the other thing I will ask, and I usually do, is if you're on your phone right now, or you're very close to your social media right now, which you probably are because, Jesus, everybody's within five feet of their phone. Otherwise, you get like that... Oh, where's my phone? I can't find it. Uh, it's over here. It would help me immensely if you would recommend us to your friends and family. Tell me, listen to the Taxman. You you enjoyed the interview with Trent Berry, which I know you did because I enjoyed it immensely. And uh, and let's keep this thing going. Without you guys promoting the program, it wouldn't have been doing as good as it is. So that's on you guys. And and every listener that I have, I'm so thankful for. And you guys are making it worth it. So kudos to you. Let's keep this thing rolling. Let's keep Canadian history out there. If you need to contact, or if you would like to, not even need to, if you'd like to contact me for any reason, I'm super easy to find on your Facebook groups page, Grappling with Canada. You can shoot me a message at any time. I'm super accessible. Like I said, you can always shoot me a DM on Twitter if that's your thing, at six underscore podcast. You can email me. Six side pod at gmail.com. You could snail mail me, but yeah, we're just gonna leave the one on the back burner. Oh, and I will mention, uh, just in terms of the Facebook group, I'm gonna be doing a fun little giveaway in a couple of weeks, so keep it locked there. It's gonna be 
just it's nothing big but just something fun for uh, members on the Facebook group so once again use that wonderful Facebook search bar gimmick grappling with Canada come join the group come tell your friends share it like subscribe rate all that fun stuff and uh, I think that's it for my plugs <laughs> yeah I know I'm excited I hope you guys are too and I really do hope that you everybody enjoyed the episode tonight so for myself the tax man for my host or co-host or guest host or guest spot or whatever you want to call them the wonderful Trent Berry. this has been another episode of grappling with Canada and I will leave you like I always do take care of yourselves and each other good night everyone <laughs> <laughs>